Father, we, we need you. We want to hear from you, God. I want to hear from Almighty God myself this morning. Father, for those that have gathered in this room, our desire is that you would speak to us on this Palm Sunday. It would be more than just a, a traditional look at a passage of Scripture that many of us have become familiar with. Lord, would you give us a newness to this study? Would you give us an understanding to this text and these truths that are proclaimed for us. Lord, we need you to do that. And so we're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. So God, you, you open our hearts, you open our eyes, you open our minds to your word. And Father, we not only pray for ourselves, we pray for Pastor Keith and the church family at Club Zion. We're so thankful for their partnership for many years in the ministry. And Lord, I'm so grateful for uh, Keith's boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, not only in the pulpit, but in that community day today. Lord, I ask special blessing over them as they gather and sing and worship your name and hear from your word. Would you visit them in a a work of great, abundant power for the glory of, of your name and for the good of your people? God, may a great gospel work be accomplished here today. May a great gospel work be accomplished in all of the teaching gospel-believing churches of this community. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and ask these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, first book in the New Testament. As you're looking uh, toward Matthew 21, I just wanna remind you that the book of Matthew is written primarily to Jews, and the purpose of the book of Matthew is to share with Jewish individuals that Jesus is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. This Jesus of Nazareth is not just some other guy. He is the one God had promised from the very Garden of Eden to be the redeemer and the ruler over the throne of David. So Matthew is writing particularly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for that point of view. I just want you to store that away as we look at this text and just think about that as we move through this morning's message. Let's look at Matthew 21. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter Zion, the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, the word Hosanna means uh, our God saves or God save us. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. 
He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you've prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is the word of God for us this morning. In this passage of scripture, it's the beginning of Holy Week in Jerusalem. So the crowds have all started to converge on this city. They were preparing for the sacrifices that would occur at the temple. They were getting their hearts ready to observe the Passover celebration here as Jesus is coming in. It's Sunday, the first day of the week. And by the last day of the week, Saturday, Jesus's body will be dead and lying in a tomb. Okay, so that's just the scope of where we are in the story of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus enters this city here on Sunday and he purposely tells his disciples, hey, go in front of me into the city, get these two donkeys, this donkey and and her colt and bring them to me so that I can ride these donkeys into the city. Now that might not seem like a lot for us today, but apparently it's something for these people because when Jesus does that, the city goes berserk. They lose their minds in shouting and celebration toward Jesus as he rides into the city on this colt of a donkey. So what's this all about? What's, what's going on here in this triumphal entry here on Palm Sunday that we're remembering and celebrating this morning? Well, first, I just want you to see as clearly as I can show you what Jesus is doing in this passage of scripture. What he's doing here, and here's what I'm gonna show you, is this, Jesus is openly and publicly declaring, I am your king. That's what he's doing intentionally in all of these verses. He is saying to anyone who will hear him, I am your king. And let me just show you a few ways he does this. Four ways he, he shows us he's king. Look at verses, or you don't have to read them, but in verses one through three, he's told those disciples, go get these donkeys, I need them. They bring them back, he rides them into the city. But look at what verses four and five say. Verse four says this, Jesus doing this, riding into this city of Jerusalem on this donkey, this was to take place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now I know you all know where that's from. It's from Zechariah chapter nine. And I'm sure all of you spend a lot of time in the book of Zechariah. So turn with me there for just a moment. And if you're not familiar with where Zechariah is found in the Bible, it's just a couple of books before Matthew. Um, Just by the way, I would encourage you guys to read some of these books. This isn't the most popular section. Can you imagine bumping into uh, like Zechariah in heaven and he's like, hey, how'd you like my book? And you're like, uh... Never quite got around to reading it. Sorry, man. There's a great truths in these passages of scripture. You can mark Matthew 21. We'll get back to that. But Zechariah chapter nine, it's a couple of books before Matthew. Zechariah nine, verse nine, he says, and this is what Jesus knows because he wrote it. 
And this is what he's doing to fulfill it in the triumphal entry. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battled bow shall be cut off. Now look at these last phrases. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule, whose rule is this, whose? Jesus's rule, this is the Messiah's rule. His rule will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Guess where the ends of the earth would be? Here, here, everywhere, all over. When Jesus is intentionally riding into Jerusalem, get this, I'm excited. You guys can fall asleep if you want to. Just don't snore. Uh, Listen, he's riding into Jerusalem. He's declaring purposefully, intentionally, openly, publicly, listen, I am your king. And when he says, I am your king, he's saying, I am the king of all the nations of all people, from this city to the very ends of the earth, Jesus Christ is saying, I am king. He's saying, I am the king of the Pharisees. I'm the king of Caesar. I am your king. He is my king. Jesus is the king over all kings. And when he rides this donkey into the city of Jerusalem, he is declaring publicly to every man, woman, child who would ever live anywhere on the face of this earth. Is that comprehensive enough? He's saying, I'm your king. I'm your king. Now go back to Matthew 21. That's just the first of four, man. This could get crazy. Matthew 21 So Jesus declares he's king when he's riding in on this donkey. Now, don't forget anything I just said. Look at verses 12 and 13. Because he's declaring he's king here too. Verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. Now, now this verse, verse 13, that, that we've all heard most of our lives if we've grown up in church about the house of prayer, that's a quote from Isaiah 56. And Isaiah 56 is right in the middle of a section of Isaiah that's teaching about the messianic kingdom, about the kingdom that the Messiah would set up, all about how it's gonna look and how it's gonna work and what it's gonna be like. And right there in the middle of chapter 56, Jesus quotes from what the messianic messianic kingdom is going to look like and he starts to initiate making it look that way you see what he's doing here he's putting himself in the middle of the kingdom the messianic kingdom he's saying i'm the king in the middle of the kingdom who's going to make this prophecy come true that's what he's doing here he's declaring i'm effectively the king who fulfills the kingdom prophecies in isaiah 56 let's keep moving along the third place here in matthew 21 that jesus asserts his kingship there is is verse 14 look at verse 14 
He says, and the blind, now Matthew's writing this and says, and the blind and the lame came to, the, to him in the temple and he healed them. Now remember, Matthew is writing to, dis, to display, to describe Jesus is this king. Jesus is this king. And so he writes this in here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say the blind and the lame even came to him and he healed them. Now listen, the reason that's a big deal is because again, back in Isaiah, where it's talking all about the Messiah's kingdom and the Messiah as king, this, this section of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, describes this kingdom, and I want you to listen. You don't need to turn there, but listen to this description of what the kingdom that the Messiah would set up would look like. Isaiah 35, four through six says this. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind, now listen, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is in the temple doing this. So while he's at the temple, these people are coming to him, and he is showing by his power that he has the ability to be the Messiah that sets up a kingdom that Isaiah described hundreds of years ago in which blind people would see, in which deaf people would hear, in which lame people would leap like a deer, and mute people would sing and shout with their tongues. Jesus is doing that. He's fulfilling that. He's saying, I am he. I'm the king, I'm the Messiah, I'm setting up my kingdom. Now, now, one last thing, okay? Look at verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says this, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, the kids are getting it. They were indignant, and they said to him, Here's what they say. Do you, do you hear what these are saying? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? In this section right here, the religious leaders, they sort of get what's going on, or at least they sort of are putting the pieces together. They realize Jesus is showing himself as Messiah, as king. They knew the Old Testament well enough to be able to start putting this together. This guy rode in on a donkey. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. This guy is healing people. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. They realize that the crowds may be putting it together. Hosanna, son of David. Oh, these crowds are starting to get it, and they start to to see the, the, the religious leaders start to see uh, this is starting to come together. These people are starting to put two and two together and they can't take it to the point that they are irate when they see Jesus doing wonderful things. I don't have time to go into all that. That's pretty self-explanatory how blind and crazy these people really are. He's doing wonderful things. They're mad about it. They're mad about it. He could have been the pastor of a local church. I'm not sure how this works. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, that's just a joke. It's a buddy of mine. Uh, listen, these, these leaders literally see kids celebrating Jesus, and it makes them mad. And so they come to Jesus and listen to what they do. They say, Jesus, do you hear what they're saying 
And Jesus says, yeah, ain't it great? Haven't you heard? Now this is where it gets crazy. Haven't you heard out of the mouths of babies and nursing infants, you have prepared praise? Where would they have heard that? They would have heard that in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is the psalm that Jesus is referring to here. Now, here's what's crazy about this to the the Pharisees. Here's what's crazy. When Jesus says, haven't you heard this? Here's how that psalm starts out. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants. You have established strength. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? These, these people come in and said, Jesus, do you hear them? They're saying you're king. And he says, I know, isn't it great? Haven't you heard? I'm God. <laughs> Did you see, that's what he's doing. When he references this praise, he's saying it is right for them to praise me because I'm not just their king, I am their God. So when Jesus rides into the city on Palm Sunday that we've gathered to celebrate at least four different moments in this triumphal entry, you see Jesus intentionally, publicly, openly declaring without any equivocation, I am the king of all the earth. I am the God over all things. And on that day, that Sunday, the crowds love it. They're gathering and they're singing and they're shouting praise to the name of Jesus. It's Sunday and this crowd is shouting and they're praising. It's awesome, isn't it? I mean, a big group of people getting together to rally around Jesus. That's great, right? It'd be even more exciting if it wasn't for one small or not so small detail, right? By Friday, the crowds are demanding Jesus to be crucified, right? They're yelling something, right? They're yelling, we would rather have the murderer Barabbas than this man. He's not even king. He's not even any other thing, but man, we would rather have Barabbas than this man, Jesus. On Sunday, people are pulling off their coats and they're laying them down so Jesus doesn't get his feet dirty. On Sunday, these people are chanting his name and they're shouting his praise. By Friday, you can't find a follower of Jesus with a search warrant in Jerusalem. Nowhere to be found. So what's the deal here? Well, let me just try to answer this. Let's put some of this together. Ultimately, I just wanna say this. Ultimately, here's what's going on. God was working out his plan The sovereign purposes of God were being accomplished in and through the lives of fickle people in Jerusalem. God was doing something great and powerful that he had planned from before the beginning of the earth. Ultimately, that's what's happening. But I want you to see a couple things. Look back at verse 10. Look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Okay, so the city sees all this commotion. And so they go to the people who are part of the commotion, right? Let's say, if you want to find out what's happening, let's go ask, what's going on here? Who is this? And the crowd say, now look at this. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You see this here? The city's asking, who is this? What's this all about? And the crowds 
The crowds who are engaged in all of this frenetic activity, the crowds answer back, this is Jesus. And they don't say, this is Jesus, our Christ, the Messiah. They don't say, this is Jesus, our God and our King. There's never been anyone like him. They don't say, this is Jesus. He's the one who all the prophets have been talking about. He's the promised Savior. He's the promised ruler. They don't say that. When they're pressed, the crowds who are chanting his name and laying down their cloaks say, this is Jesus, the prophet. You know, there have been lots of prophets. He's got some really important stuff to say. He has a powerful message. He's a great teacher. He's one of those guys. Do you see the difference? I hope you see the difference. Jesus is saying, I'm your God and king. I'm your God and king. And people are acting like they're all about Jesus. Man, we love Jesus. He's saying, I'm God and king. They're saying, yeah, we love you, Jesus. But when they're pressed, when it really matters, when they've got to say it, they actually say, he's a prophet with a powerful message. There's a big difference between God and king and a prophet with a powerful message. There's a reason we didn't sing any songs about Zechariah or Malachi this morning. Great guys, used powerfully, they're not God and king. Jesus says this is different. So the first thing that happens here, the first thing that that helps us to understand what happens between Sunday and Friday is that people were cheering for Jesus and shouting for Jesus, but they were not embracing him as their God and king. They, they were cheering and called up in the praise. They were all too happy to shout his name and lay their coats on the ground, but they weren't willing to bow themselves on the ground and acknowledge Jesus is my king and my God. Second thing that happens from here on out, we don't have time to look through all of these verses, but the second thing that happens is that Jesus doesn't do what they want him to do. So first, they're not really embracing him fully as God and king. And second of all, which makes matters worse, Jesus doesn't do what they want him to do. The people wanted Jesus to come and overthrow the government. He wanted them to establish a political takeover. He wanted them to set up the golden age of David's kingdom. And that's not what he does. He does go to the Roman rulers. And the Bible says that he hardly says a word like a lamb before it's like a lamb before its shearers, so he opened not his mouth. These people are shocked at every turn because Jesus doesn't follow their script. He doesn't do their bidding. So here's the story. Let's put all of this together. Jesus the king is God in the flesh. He comes to establish his kingdom and rule in the hearts of people and the crowds join in and for them it makes a big difference on Sunday morning but by the end of the week the effect has worn off does that sound familiar as I, as I thought about this and prayed over this I could not help but think about the state of Christianity in the average American city I couldn't help but think about this morning Especially, I couldn't help but think about next Sunday morning. On Easter Sunday morning, our our gathering will just about double in attendance. 
The crowds will come, and we're not unique in that. That'll happen time and time and time again all over this island, in this community, all over this country. Through our singing as American Christians, we will shout praise to Jesus. We'll get out our coats and maybe even a tie for Jesus. Sunday will be a big deal. But will the effect wear off by the end of the week? I've got to tell you, I cannot help but believe we suffer from the same epidemic that swept through the Palm Sunday crowd. We get energized with the crowds. We're more than glad to shout a little bit for Jesus. But when we're really pressed through the week, Jesus is really not our God and King. He's a great teacher, has a lot of good stuff to say that we might even quote. He's someone with a powerful message we think other people need to hear. But he's not the one who's in charge of our lives. Not really, not by the way we live. We're willing to throw a little love Jesus' way on Sunday morning. But the real and living Jesus Christ, who's God and King, has very little impact on the rest of our week. I can't help but think That there's the same revolt in our hearts, in my own heart, as there was 2,000 years ago. Anytime Jesus chooses to do something that I wouldn't want, or I don't like, or I didn't sign up for, there's this miniature or not so miniature crisis of faith in me. When jobs don't go our way, when finances don't go our way, when physical health doesn't go our way, when politicians don't go our way, do they ever really go our way? When relationships don't go our way, we get ready to bail on Jesus. I've had people tell me, when they're honest enough, they've told me as a confession, I applaud their honesty, about how they've prayed and wanted for certain things to take place and then they haven't happened and they'll say something like this. I've had people say this. I'm so mad at Jesus or or, I'm so disappointed in Jesus and at least they're honest enough to admit it before we cast our stones. But the condition is still the same. Whenever Jesus doesn't follow our script, whenever he doesn't establish his kingdom the way we would want to establish a kingdom, when he establishes his kingdom through loss and pain and hardship and disappointment, we get ready to bail. I don't know how the vast majority of professed Christianity in my lifetime is anything more than a sad replay of the Palm Sunday crowd. We love to shout for Jesus and cheer for Jesus and we'll say some nice things about Jesus, but before Friday, the effect has worn off. And so what do we do? What's the point? I'm not trying to be a downer. This is the reality in my own life and as I was praying over this, I wanna share with you two Good responses to Jesus' declaration on Palm Sunday. When Jesus says, I'm God and King, two good responses include this. Submission and celebration. Submission and celebration. We, we, We respond rightly to Jesus as King when we submit to Jesus as God and king. Listen, we don't make Jesus king. Do you hear hear that? We don't make Jesus king. I've heard that my whole life. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't make Jesus Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord of my life already. 
I don't make Jesus God. What kind of power do I have? Jesus is God already. He is who he is. That's his name. But we are either rebelling against Jesus as king or we are yielding to Jesus as king. And here's what you need to know. There is no middle ground. There's no straddle the fence on who Jesus really is. You know, I don't answer this out loud. I just want to ask some questions and just quietly let the Holy Spirit give you answers to these. Do you really believe that Jesus, as king, has the right to tell you how to live? Do you really believe Jesus has the right to tell you how to spend your time and your career and your money and your relationships? Let me give you a hint on whether you believe that or not. Do you live like you believe that? Do you live like Jesus is telling you, informing you how to live on Monday, the, the, the way you should work on Tuesday, the way you should spend your free time on Wednesday, the way you should use your money on Thursday, the places you go on Friday. And I'm not talking about standing there just uselessly saying, I don't know what I should do about ordering a number one or a number two on the menu. I'm, not, I'm saying Jesus has spoken through his word. He said clearly, does that matter through your week? Does the word of our king revealed in the Bible tell you how to live your life in a way that's actually affecting how you live your life? That's one way to know whether you embrace Jesus as king. Whether you do what he says when he's told you what to do in his word, the Bible. We embrace the kingship of Jesus when we submit to him as God and king and listen, Some of us this morning, all of us this morning need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show us where am I unwilling to submit to Jesus in my life? What am I saying effectively? Jesus, you could take it all but this. You could say what I should do with everything but this. I'm willing to follow you except in this area. That's not submitting to Jesus as Lord. So the second way we embrace the kingship of Jesus is when we celebrate Jesus as God and King. We submit to Jesus as God and King and we celebrate Jesus. Remember something. Listen, Jesus is the ruler of all people and all things at all times in all places. Do you hear that? He is always in control. He is always working out his plan. Even when life seems to be falling apart, people, even when the world seems to have lost its ever-loving mind, Jesus is still king and Lord and in control. You know that? And he's always worthy of our praise, even if we don't get what we want. Even if it doesn't go our Way. There's a lot I'd like to say here, but I just want to tell you uh, of something that happened this week. Um, I was reading and studying and praying over this message, and, and I got to this place, this spot right here, and was praying, God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to approach this? There's so much I would love to talk about uh, concerning the celebrating Jesus and his kingship and his lordship, his rule, his sovereignty, his power. There's so much we could talk about here. But I got stuck. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to proceed with it. And I, I was in the middle of that 
And I felt led to call uh, Miss Eileen Helton. I don't think I saw Miss Eileen here this morning. And I understand why she's not able to be here this morning. I had spoken with Miss Eileen. Some of you don't know her. She is such an awesome lady. One of our senior adult ladies. I love, love, love spending time with Miss Eileen. I tell her every time, it's like visiting my grandma's house. Just feels like home. She's so sweet and kind and godly and encouraging. She just has so many wonderful things to say. So Miss Eileen, I call her all the time. I, I called, uh, or I don't get to spend as much time with her as I want, but I called her Monday. I called her Monday because she was in the hospital. She'd just been diagnosed with cancer. So I called her because I wanted to pray with her. I'd been sick, so I didn't want to visit her face to face. But I called her and had a great conversation and prayed with her. I felt led to call her on Thursday because on Wednesday her son died. And so I called her on Thursday because I wanted to pray with her about, about Brent and his passing and, and about the fact that here she was as a, as a mom who'd been diagnosed with cancer on Monday, who, who lost her son on Wednesday. And as I'm talking with Miss Aline, um, just wanting to check in on her, wanting to pray with her, she starts preaching at me. Some of you guys do that. She had a really good one. Uh, I, I, she started preaching. And here's what she said. Listen, she said, you know, I just can't help but remember that Jesus is in control. Amen. She said, I know, I know all, she goes, I know all these things are happening. I know all these things are happening. I know what's going on in our world. The world, she says this to me, the world you're raising your kids in is, is a lot different than the world I raised my kids in. But even if this is what's happening, that's what she said, even if this is what's happening, even if this is how it goes, Jesus is still in control and it's gonna be okay. She said, Titus, I'll be okay. Jesus is in control. She said, you'll be okay because Jesus will be in control. She said, your kids will be okay because Jesus is still in control. It's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. It's heartbreaking but Titus, and she's, got, she's from Alabama, so she's got this southern accent. But Titus, Jesus is still in control. And so I wept, because it's what I do. Here I called her to pray for her. I thanked her for preaching to me and, and, and let her know she'd just written part of my sermon because I'd been stuck on it and she laughed and said it was a privilege. Uh, I said, my wife usually writes them, but I'll let you do it this time. Uh, do you know what she did? You know, you know, you know, what that, you know what that is? That's just life right there. She was celebrating Jesus as king. Celebrating Jesus as God. Even when life looked like it was falling apart. A mom diagnosed with cancer getting ready to attend her son's funeral saying, it's gonna be okay because Jesus is still in control. That's celebrating Jesus as king and God no matter what. And that's how we honor Jesus. And church, that's what separates a fickle crowd from a follower of Jesus. It's hard. I'm not saying it isn't. It's tough. Life's not easy. 
Most often it's not fair, but what separates a genuine follower of the king from a fickle man in a crowd is saying Jesus Christ is king and in control and he's good and he's reigning and he's ruling and it's all going to be all right and no matter what, he's worthy of praise. So will you celebrate Jesus today? I don't know. I don't know what disappointment you're going through, but you're going through it. If you're on earth, check for your pulse. If it's there, you're disappointed in something. You're going through pain. You're going through hurt. I don't know all the ways that your world's falling apart. I can't possibly guess all the ways your world is falling apart. Jesus Christ, however, isn't falling apart. He is the ruler of all things, the king of all kings, the one who's in control over all the earth, and he's working out his plan. And do you know, nothing reminds us of that more than the death of Jesus. Do you know that? The death of Jesus reminds us that he is a strong, mighty king because the, the world has never seemed more like it was falling apart than when people were killing their creator. But Jesus was still in control. They didn't take his life, he gave it. He laid it down. All the way to the cross, Jesus is fulfilling the plan that he had worked out from eternity past with God the Father. He was fulfilling his purpose to die in our place, to bear the punishment for our sin. The death of Jesus reminds us of the powerful truth that he is the ruler over all things, all people, all events. He uses every single pain, every single moment, every single chaotic crowd on Sunday or Friday to establish his plan and fulfill his purpose. And we should submit to that king today and yield our lives to him knowing he is good and strong and in control. And we should celebrate that king, that wise king, that humble and kind and loving king who rode past us as his army so that he could join the front lines and stand in front of us to defeat our greatest enemies, namely death, hell, sin, the grave and the devil himself. Our king is not a king who sent us to be defeated. Our king is a king who came himself to die so that we might live. That's worthy of celebrating, church. And so we're gonna remember that during the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna ask our deacons to go ahead and come forward and prepare the table. And as the deacons are preparing the table,